Hi, this is Wowzers, and you're listening to Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In the last episode, the PCs are visited by Twarlin Zarin. She's the daughter of Stablemaster Zarin, who was executed on the first day of the Three Days of Blood and Justice. At first, there's a little confusion and suspicion, until Yellowfly learns that her father was the master of a different kind of stable. He ran the Soldier's Rest, one of Silmoral's brothels. Now, Tuarlin runs the place. She's there to make a request. Tuarlin wants the PCs to avenge her father. Bellic is a customer of the Soldier's Rest, if one can be called a customer who uses his service but never pays. At any rate, Bellic will be there tonight, and although he won't come alone, his entourage is expected to be small. This is an opportunity the companions cannot turn down. Despite worries that the whole thing is a trap set by Bellic, they agree. Their plan is straightforward. Cole and Fly will hide upstairs, while Catsbane and Chane will wait outside for Tuarlin to leave. When she does, the pair will slip in and dispatch the guards. Meanwhile, the sound of Tuarlin's leaving will have already alerted Cole and Yellowfly, who will have made their way to Bellic's room. With luck, everything will happen in concert. But luck provides something even better. One of the two guards on the first floor leaves his post to relieve himself in the alley. While he's outside, Catsbane and Chane enter and lock the door behind them. Now, it's two against one on the first floor, too. They dispatch the guard quickly, but not before he can yell a warning to his captain. The second story of the Soldier's Rest has three rooms, all attached to a single hall that bends at a 90-degree angle halfway along. The rooms are almost identical, except that one of them is a bit warmer than the others, as it has a vent leading to the chimney, and one is slightly larger than the other two. I flipped a coin to see if Bellic would prefer the larger or the warmer room. It turned out he prefers the warmer one, and this puts him closest to the stairs, so it might become important. But I kind of doubt it. Cole and Yellowfly's cue to come out of hiding and close in on their prey was the sound of the door shutting when Dwellin went out with the chamber pot. It's true that Shawnee and Catsbane hurried their approach, so as to guarantee the other guard would be locked outside, but I don't think it'll make a huge difference. I'll say this, when they burst in on Bellic, I'll make a surprise roll. A roll of one or two will indicate that Yellowfly and Cole got there quickly enough to beat the guard's warning. On a five or six, I'll say that they arrive after the warning was given, and that Bellic could have grabbed a weapon or even barricaded the door. Since we're moments away from the action, I suppose I'll go ahead and make the roll right now. On a d6. Ooh, a five. That means Yellowfly and Cole fail to beat the warning from the guard downstairs. Bellic will not be surprised. In fact, he'll be armed and ready. Chapter 22, Part 1, Day 68, 
Knight. Party status. Yellowfly. 19 of 19 hit points. Cole. 18 of 18. Cole kicked in the door and stepped to the side. A buxom redhead shrieked in terror and cowered behind a lumpy bed as Yellowfly strode past him and into the sweaty little room. The stink of perfume was thick in here, but Yellowfly barely noticed. His eyes blazed like a demon's as he pointed his sword at the man who stood before him, naked and sneering. I've been looking forward to this, he said, spittle flying. Who in the hells are you, bloody skegs? I'll kill the both of you, come on! Bellic waved a wicked-looking dagger in the air before him. If he was ashamed of his nakedness or afraid to die, it did not show at all. In fact, a sour smile was spreading across his face. I don't think so, you murdering bastard. I intend to put my blade through your black heart. Entering combat. Even naked and armed with a lowly dagger, Bellic is a formidable enemy. He's a fifth level fighter, which means he makes his two hit rolls with a plus two bonus. His armor class is just 10, but with five hit dice, he should have plenty of hit points. Let's find out. Here's a whole handful of D8s. Okay, I've got 25. That's more than the minute score of 20, so 25 it is. Cole and Yellowfly are each armed with a short sword provided by Tuarlin as part of their payment. There's no room for large weapons or shields here, but they're each wearing a leather cuirass, also provided by Tuarlin, giving them an AC of 12. These three men will be fighting in a very confined space, so I'm ruling that the chance for a critical fail will double. On a one, they'll lose a turn as per usual. On a two, they will accidentally strike the working girl who was caught in the middle, unable to escape or find a safe place to hide. This fight has been a long time coming. Let's wait no longer. Here we go. It is round one, Bellic. Two, Yellowfly and Cole. A five. Yellowfly burned with an anger so intense it actually frightened Cole. The words had barely left the man's lips when he lunged at the captain. A 19 is more than enough. Six damage. Yellowfly draws first blood, drawing a gash along Bellic's forearm and erasing the smile from the other man's face. <laughs> Cole is right behind him and prepares to strike with his short sword. He prefers an axe, but in a space this small, a thrusting weapon is the only real choice. With his strength bonus, he only needs to roll an eight or better. A two. I see that Bellic has grabbed the woman by the hair and thrown her at Cole to avoid being flanked. Instead of rolling hit points for this woman, I will roll high-low. If I roll low, Cole will accidentally kill her. Rolling. High. Cole shoves her right back. She lands on the bed while Bellic tries to stab Yellowfly. He'll need a 10 to hit. A 7 misses. Die, skig! Round 2. Bellic. 6. Yellowfly and Cole. 4. Bella capitalizes on the momentary distraction. He surges forward, trying to press Yellowfly back and away from the door. Oh, a one on the die. The redhead has thrown herself at him. It's not an attack. She's desperate for his protection. She has no idea who Yellowfly and Cole are. As far as she knows, they want to kill her too. Of course, she just gets in Bellic's way, spoiling his attack. Get off me, you idiot! He roars. Yellowfly sees his opening and thrusts. A 12 is enough. He does... Oh wow, maximum damage. That's seven points now that he has a strength bonus. He makes a deep cut into Bellic's shoulder and a red wound opens like a yawning mouth in his flesh. Cole tries to hit him from the other side. A seven, no good. He's going to have to jump on the bed to get close enough to reach. Round three. No initiative is needed this round as Bellic's critical fumble has cost him his only action. Victory is in sight. The captain is bleeding heavily, staining the bedsheets and the floorboard dark red. 
Yellow flight cuts in a third time. A five is a miss. Cole jumps on the bed and stabs down, trying to avoid hitting the terrified girl. A four. Ugh, what a waste of a free round. We are on to round four. Bellic. Five. Yellowfly and Cole. Six. Rolling for Yellowfly. A twelve will do it. His sword flashes in once again. Another three points. Bellic is down to nine. Cole looks for an opening. And with a twelve, he finds one. Seven points brings Bellic to death's door. The captain realizes he cannot win by fighting. He hasn't harmed either of his assailants. For his turn, he once again grabs a fistful of the working girl's dark red curls and roughly hoists her up in front of him. He holds her as a human shield. She screams even louder, but they can still hear his threat. Not one more step, Church Mouse, or I'll open this lass from the nave to the chops. Round five. Once again, there's no need for initiative here, as the combat has come to a standstill. Bellic holds his dagger with its tip against the girl's belly. His other hand grips her hair close to the scalp and pulls her body against his own. Standing with his victim between them, he inches toward the door. Not. One. Step. He says again. A ten on the die. That's an eleven with his bonus. And since Bellic has just two hit points, there's no need to roll for damage. Yellowfly shoves his sword straight through the girl and into Bellic's gut, skewering them both. Bellic's eyes go wide, then sightless. The girl's scream turns into a wet gurgle, and then all is silent. Wow, that was quite a fight. I'm not sure how Cole will react to what Yellowfly has done, sacrificing the girl in the service of vengeance, I mean. Part of me is surprised that Yellowfly actually did it. Anyway, for now, let's talk about some of the things that we didn't see in that scene. Twarlin, as you might have guessed, ran off and hid nearby after emptying the chamber pot. She was nowhere to be seen by the time the guard who followed her outside returned to the front door and found it locked. He pounded on that door for a while, hearing the muffled sounds of combat from within, and when it became clear he was not getting inside, he ran off to find help. By the time he returned with reinforcements, the companions were long gone, but they did find Twarlin, bound and gagged in the first floor office. This last touch to clear her of suspicion was Catsbane's idea, by the way. There's really just a couple more things to work out. Namely, what did Twarlin pay the PCs for their service? And will the Lord Rabbit be happy with them? For the payment, Twarlin already bought them two short swords and two leather cuirasses. There'll be a modest payment in coin too, but the Stablemaster's daughter is not exactly wealthy. I'll say that she will give them 2d4 times 10 gold pieces in reward. Rolling. Hmm, okay, a seven on the dice. She gives them a 70 GP, plus the equipment. Yellowfly probably would have done this job for free, but he won't turn the money down. Now onto the more important question of whether the Lord Rabbit will celebrate their initiative or be angered that they acted without his approval. A simple reaction check is all we need. 2d6, higher is better. I'm not going to add any bonuses or penalties. It's true they pulled off this job without a single scratch to themselves. But on the other hand, an innocent was killed, and that might matter to him. I'm not sure if it would, but I guess we're about to find out. Here's the roll. Oh, a 12 on the dice. You know, a roll like that warrants something special. The shades of the bygone people lingers on the wind and on the lips of the survivors of this hell on earth. What stories will they tell? Echoes of Eshetin is a solo play podcast set in the world of Degenesis, a primal punk post-apocalyptic game by Six More Vodka Studios. 
With a simple D6 dice system and high-stakes combat, which should make the clutch dice rolls all the more exciting. Join me, Coop the GM, for a new story across the ruinous landscapes of Borca, the festering swamps of Franca, and the killing fields of Hyraspania. Will the characters uncover sinister plots or succumb to death a thousandfold? Find out on Echoes of Eshetan, a solo play TTRPG podcast. Listener discretion is advised. The Lord Rabbit used to be an adventurer, like the PCs. I haven't yet thought it through enough to know if he was crawling around in dungeons or working as a thief or a spy or something else entirely, but he lived by the sword and rose through the ranks of the church to his current position in the middle through strength and cunning and skill. I bet that somewhere along his past adventures he came across something special and that he has held on to it all this time as a kind of memento. I also bet he hasn't used whatever it is in years. That 12 I rolled for his reaction check to the news of Balak's death at the hands of his people, I think that it means he'll be so pleased that he decides to give this memento to their leader. So what will Yellowfly receive? It might be something simple like a plus one sword or a cloak protection plus one, or it might be something more exotic like a ring of free action or a medallion of ESP. I'm going to let the dice decide, of course. Here's how we'll do it. I'll roll once to see what kind of item it is, and again to see if it's a simple or exotic treasure. No matter what I roll, it's going to be magical in nature. I've been stingy with magic items in this campaign, and it's time to reward the PC's success with something truly valuable. My first roll will be on a d6. On a 1-2, to two, it'll be a weapon. On a 3-4, to four, jewelry. On a 5-6, to six, clothing. Then I'll roll another d6 to see if it's simple or exotic. Low means simple, high will be exotic. Any other necessary rolls will be made off mic. The first roll. Hmm, okay. And the next roll. I see. Well, I'm going to have to give this some thought. Dramatis Personae. The Lord Rabbit. Ten years ago. He used to go by a different name. Before he was the Lord Rabbit, he had called himself Whisper. It wasn't a very good name, and in fact he had abandoned it after only a couple of years. But for a little while, Whisper was his name. He'd been slimmer back then, also faster and stronger. Probably less wise, though. Another thing, back then he hadn't given orders, he had taken them. He had a boss who gave him jobs to do. In fact, he was doing one right now. It was sometime during the small hours, and they were creeping across the floor of a wealthy merchant's bedroom. The merchant in question was sleeping just a few feet away from them. He was almost close enough to touch. The man snored so loudly that his wife slept in a different room. That was lucky. There was one fewer person to discover the intruders. His companion was a man he had never actually met before the job, but he had heard of him. His name was Sweetface. It was obvious to anyone why folks called him that. He really did have a boy's face, though he was in his early thirties. He often told people that he had never shaved and was incapable of growing a beard. Sweetface was even better known for being one of the best burglars in Silmoral. Whisper was lucky to have been paired with him, as it was said that he could defeat any lock, no matter how difficult. Hopefully this was true, because their goal tonight was to break into this merchant's chest and steal a precious brooch. His boss had specifically told him to take the brooch, but nothing else, not a single copper coin. The idea was for them to get out with the item undetected and without leaving a trace. Hopefully the merchant would assume he had misplaced the brooch, if he even noticed it was gone. Something odd about Sweetface. He wore a pair of cream-colored gloves made of kidskin. The gloves each had a little jewel worked into the palm, which Whisper thought was very bad design. 
His companion always had them on, even when he worked on locks. Whisper had seen him do it on their way into the merchant's house. It must have been an affectation, because wearing gloves could only make delicate work all the more difficult. Affected or not, Sweetface got results, so what did it matter? Moonlight streamed in through the open casement as the two men crept across the rug so thick that it made this part of the job almost too easy. Between the rug and the snoring, they probably could have come in on horseback and still remained undetected. The object of their mission was just ahead, a little chest about the size of a loaf of bread. It was banded in iron and had a chunky lock on the front. Sweetface was already pulling at his thieves' tools and selecting from among an array of probes, files, and wires. In just a few moments, he was at work, poking around in the lock with his tools, and, true to form, still wearing his gloves. A few short seconds later, the tools went back into his belt pouch and Sweetface looked over his shoulder to wink at his companion. His head was still turned when he lifted the lid. If it hadn't been, Whisper wouldn't have seen Sweetface wince in pain and snatch his hand away from the chest. And if the gloves hadn't been so pale, he might not have been able to see the little dark dot on his finger. Whisper's partner suddenly scrunched his eyes shut as a paroxysm of pain ripped through him. He opened his mouth, about to say something, or maybe to scream, but no sound came out. Instead, the man stiffened and died right in front of him. The snoring stopped. Whisper acted without thinking. He lunged forward. The chest was right in front of him and he could almost certainly grab it before the merchant fully awoke and collected himself. He had not come this far to fail. But the chest, he saw, was empty. Whisper did not intend to leave empty-handed, but he had only seconds to act. Hoping the little gems on them might be valuable, he pulled off Sweetface's gloves, shoved them in his pockets, and dashed out of the bedroom, just as the merchant sat up. Chapter 22 Part 2 Day 69 Evening Party Status Yellowfly 19 of 19 hit points. If the Lord Rabbit's smile had been any wider, the top half of his head might have slid off. He'd answered the front door himself, explaining that Glennis is just putting the babes to bed, and she'll probably turn in too, so it's just us. But come in, out of the cold, my friend. He led Yellowfly down the hall and into the study where they usually sat to drink and talk and play at dice. I have some excellent brandy here from Camranth. Will you smoke? This was new. The Lord Rabbit had never offered this before. He nodded, and the other man filled a pair of long-stemmed pipes from an ornate little box made of ebony. His smile never faded for a moment. I say, you and your friends have managed the extraordinary. I should know better than to ask, but how did you find out so quickly? Yellowfly accepted the pipe from the other man and lit it from a nearby candle. They each took a seat opposite each other at the dice table, and Lord Rabbit leaned back, closing his eyes and savoring his smoke. He chuckled and tapped the side of his nose. Is there any place that you do not employ a spy? <laughs> I hope not, replied Lord Rabbit. Oh, I almost forgot the brand. He hopped up and hurried to the back of the room, where he busied himself at a side table, arrayed with bottles, glasses, and decanters. He picked one up containing a plum-colored liquid and poured two small glasses. He brought them back, one in each hand, and clenching his pipe between his teeth. He set the glasses on the table, retook his seat, and took another long drag on his pipe. He exhaled the smoke through his nostrils. I was afraid you might be upset, to be honest, said Yellowfly, puffing on his pipe. Upset? Why would I be? Acting without relief, of course. You struck while the iron was hot, 
That's what I like about you. And look what you've managed. Such a victory you have won for us, Yellowfly. You're the toast of the church and your friends too, of course. The two men smoked and drank and spoke for their business for a little while then. Lord Rabbit expressed his view that the dungeon under the sawmill in Mirpool was not likely to be abandoned. When Yellowfly agreed and offered to return there, Lord Rabbit shook his head no, adding that he planned to send some other church members. The reason you can't go is that you've been summoned. The Lord Rabbit's enormous smile was back. I can promise nothing, but I would wager that you're about to be promoted. You're not much of a gambler, my friend. That's true, that's true. Shartu knows I've lost a king's ransom and gold at dice. Quite a lot of it to you, come to think of it. Yellowfly shrugged helplessly and drained his cup. Perhaps it was the brandy, but the Lord Rabbit's tone seemed suddenly to grow serious. Yellowfly, there's something else I should like to give you. Yellowfly raised an eyebrow at this. In response, Lord Rabbit reached into his pocket and drew forth a silk bag. From it, he withdrew a pair of kid-skin gloves, creamy white and strangely decorated with a little green gem sewn into each palm. He placed them on the table and motioned for Yellowfly to pick them up. When he did, he noticed the little dark dot on the index finger of one of them. Chapter 22 Part 3 Day 70 Afternoon Party Status Yellowfly 19 of 19 hit points Cole 18 of 18 Sean A 13 of 13 Catsbane 6 of 6 It didn't have a name, but Cole and Yellowfly both knew the place. It was a partially hidden little grotto some four hours from Silmoral, about halfway to the little fishing village of Westmire, but off the road. The grotto was one of several spots in the area that were popular during the summer with casual fisherfolk, since there was a rocky half-covering that provided decent shade, and also since the place was not without a kind of modest beauty. Seabirds cried as they circled out over the nearby water, looking for a meal. The wind rose and fell, pushing gray clouds across a gray sky. Now, as winter neared, the place was in obvious disuse. The remnants of a campfire was the only evidence that anyone had been there at all. The companions had been told to be there at around noon. Apparently, whomever they were to meet had not yet arrived, for the place was deserted. Cole and Catsbane set about looking for firewood in the nearby scrub, while Yellowfly sat down and rubbed his feet. Shawnee leaned against a scrawny and bent tree, sulking, as she sorted through her arrows, one by one, and inspected their fletching. After a time, Cole and Catsbane returned with some dry wood and started to build up a small campfire. They talked excitedly as they worked. If what Yellowfly had told them was true, he might be receiving a promotion today and moving up through the ranks of the church. This explained why Shawnee was moody. If a promotion was given, there was a chance that Yellowfly could be reassigned to a different team. They had been there about an hour, and the fire was burning well, when a group of travelers became visible on the road in the distance. When they left the road and started cutting across the rocky scrub towards the grotto, Yellowfly and the others stood and held up their hands in greeting. There were five travelers. Four of them wore sheathed blades on their belts, and Yellowfly could make out the rigid shape of armor under their cloaks. The last of them was a woman in a heavy linen cloak, with the cowl pulled up so that the hem hung low and hid her face in shadow. She walked with a kind of regal bearing, with her spine straight and her shoulders back. One of the men addressed them in a husky voice. Hail, for the moon never beams. Without bringing me dreams, replied Yellowfly. Well met to you as well. Please sit down and warm yourselves at our fire. Gratitude, said the man. It has been a cold walk. 
If you need food or wine, I assume you're the one they call Yellowfly. Yes, I am he. My apologies, replied Yellowfly, nodding. We do not think to bring anything with us. No matter, no matter, we shan't be long. I just hope to, well, the fire is most welcome. Listen, Master Yellowfly, I've been asked to safely escort someone here to meet you. Someone who wishes to speak with you and your people. Well, here she is. Enjoy your conversation. The four men seated themselves around the campfire, leaving the cowled woman standing on her own. While they removed their gloves and held their hands out for warmth, the woman tentatively approached the group. She raised her hands to remove her cowl and pulled it back to reveal the face of a middle-aged woman with gray-streaked hair and very pale skin. There was just a hint of color in her cheeks, and her eyes shone with intelligence. Hello, she said. I would like to thank you for meeting me, even though I am not one of your order. My name is Sister Araness. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you're enjoying the show and would like to lend your support, there are lots of ways to help. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum World Building Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. Finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone who has supported the show in these ways. You know how I like to share your generous reviews. I'd like to share one of them right now. This one is on Apple Podcasts and was posted by Listener174. Listener174 writes, I got onto the tale of the Manticore by way of the 13-sided die podcast. I love how no character is sacred, the melodious tone of the narrator, and how chaos rules. The story is so well told and thought out. I can't wait to listen to the next episode. Thanks very much, Listener174. That review just warmed my heart. So glad you're enjoying the show. I'm especially chuffed that you heard it through the 13-Sided Die podcast. Those guys are both just the best. I owe them a debt of gratitude for their support of the show, too, as they've been waving my flag all along. I've also got some excellent voice talent to thank. Bellick is perfectly voiced by Dr. Matthew Brooks, retired actor and full-time family medicine physician in North Carolina, who regularly DMs through Shard Tabletop and Discord. Let's say hello once more to Dr. Brooks' gaming group. John, Scott, Joe, Kent, and Dave, how you doing? The inimitable Dirk the Dice returns to his role as the Lord Rabbit in this episode. So happy to have you back on the show, Dirk. For anyone listening who has not yet discovered the warmth and charm of the Grognard Files podcast, it is truly not to be missed. The Church Guild member who introduces the PCs to Araness is played by newcomer to the show, Carl of the Lone Adventurer podcast, which is another semi-actual play not so different from this one. Carl spins a great tale. Be sure to check out The Lone Adventurer. Finally, Sister Araness is played by another newcomer to the show, Lyrica from the One Hour One-Offs podcast. Find Lyrica on Instagram at One Hour One-Offs or on Twitter at One Hour One-Offs. My sincere thanks to Matt, Dirk, Carl, and Lyrica for bringing the show to life. If anyone listening wants to get in touch with me, I'm on the usual socials, at Manticore Tale on Twitter or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. I reply to every message I receive. Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG-related stuff like art, maps, tables, crafts, and show notes. It goes all the way back to the genesis of the show, and I update it about once per week. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. 
Hi, I'm Steve Morrison, and I'm a writer and game master who has combined my love of stories and tabletop gaming into a solo actual play series called Errant Adventures. Join me as I explore different stories in different genres using a variety of my favorite tabletop role-playing games. In Season 1, I use Iron Sworn Starforged to discover the adventures of Lucius Tarquin in the dangerous space of the Forge. For Season 2, I tell a story inspired by the Black Company books in my own fantasy world. Join members of the mercenary company The Crest as they take contracts in the seaside city of Hartvale. I've got short runs of games like Colossal, Pilgrimage of the Sun Guard, and more on the way. Whether a long-form campaign or a short series, Errant Adventures features stories told at the speed of dice. So join me on the podcatcher of your choice as I discover where the story goes next.